0: The Rangers have been the ultimate third period team as of late. With eight goals in the final 20 minutes of the last two games, the Rangers split a home-and-home series with the Capitals this past week. We'll debrief the last few games, the Lemieux trade, and evaluate where the team stands in the playoff race as the post-Larry Brooks drops by. And we are graced with the presence this week of the voice of the Rangers. MSG Network's own Sam Rosen joins the pod. All that and more is next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation.
2: Welcome back to up in the blue seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York post subscribe to the show wherever you get pods, but give us a five star rating right in a nice review on Apple podcast. Larry Brooks of the New York post joins us in his weekly spot. Also a terrific interview with the longtime voice of the New York Rangers on MSG network, Sam Rosen a little bit later in the show. But first, here they are, your host of Up in the Blue Seats this season. It's the New York Post-owned, Molly Walker. And the star of the show, Ranger Great, number 10, Ron Duguay. Well, thank you, Jake. And yes, we're back.
1: Not only are we back, but Coach is back. Coach Quinn is back with his team. And also who's back is Shesterkin in net, and my goodness, is he looking good? Last game against Washington, he was the better player on the ice. But sadly, for some Ranger fans, Brandon Lemieux was set off to L.A. So what does that mean to the Rangers moving forward? Well, there's certain players that are taking advantage of that quality ice time that they're going to get and call Colin Blackwell. Blackwell looking really good. He's not a young man. He's not a rookie. He's been around. He's been wanting to play in the NHL. So he's proving to the coach that he wants to play with good playing. Also in the news this week is Fox. Fox keeps getting better. With every game, he looks a lot more comfortable. But more importantly, today on our show, our guest, a good friend of mine, I've known him for a long time, Sam Rosen, with his play-by-play, he's witnessed so much. He went through the 94 Stanley Cup, and we have to dig into that. Stories. I want to hear stories, play by play, what it was like to call that last game and what's it like to be Sam Rosen. But until then, right now, my co-host Molly Walker is here with us and Molly. When you think of Sam Rosen, what is it that you think about?
0: My childhood, Ron, honestly. I mean, who who doesn't think of Sam Rosen's voice coming out of their television, not only just in Rangers games, but other, ga- other sports as well. I mean, he's just such an iconic voice, and we are so lucky to have him on the show. And he gave us such a play-by-play of that 94-cup final game when the Rangers won I obviously was not alive, so I actually felt like I was reliving it. So tune in a little bit later in the show. You definitely don't want to miss it. Getting back to the Rangers, though, two to one loss in Philadelphia, five to four loss in Washington, but then a five to two win over the Capitals on Tuesday. Even though the Rangers have gone 1-2 and two over their last three games, they've been pretty encouraging outings, in my opinion. In two of the three games, the Rangers have held their opponent to just two goals, and their power play has looked really good. Mika Zibanejad continued his torment of the Flyers in the 2-1 to loss in Philly with his power play goal in the first period. It just feels like their spacing has been that much better. And although sometimes they can get too cute with their passes when they're focused on finishing, nine times out of ten, they're finding the back of the net. And then the 5-4 to four loss and Tuesday's win against the Capitals were only slightly concerning because the Rangers are leaving the game to be decided in the third period. And although they've come up big in both third periods, it's just so dangerous to wait until the final 20 minutes to put the game away, especially against teams like Washington, Philly, and Boston. But Colin Blackwell, like you mentioned, came up big for the Rangers, completely jump-started that comeback in the loss. And Blackwell has really stepped up. We were talking about this earlier, Ron, right?
1: He has, and uh, and I think it has to do with you only get so many opportunities in the NHL, and when you get older, you really realize you better be prepared every game. And from what some of the comments I've heard from players that he sits there in the dressing room as he prepares, and he's extremely serious. He goes out there for a little man. He's only 5'9". The other night, he actually challenged someone to a fight defending one of his players, and one of the comments he made, he says there was a void to fill with Brendan Lemieux, who's not on the team, that we need to step up. And we need to fight and play hard for each other and play as a team and so i understand that but i really appreciate his uh, his type of play because he's a little guy he will follow up he'll he'll check and when you see that as a coach when you're trying to win games and we're going to talk about this larry brooks how coach is trying to juggle still developing younger players getting them quality ice time but when you have veteran players who are playing hard and you're still trying to win well you got to give those guys ice time so I look forward to talking to Larry about that. But I'm just wondering, Molly, have you seen anything with the team when you trade away a player like Brandon Lemieux, who's a character guy, likable guy, have you seen any kind of morale thing going on with the players at all? Or
0: I wouldn't call it a morale thing. I definitely think that they were aware of the physicality that the lineup lost. I definitely think that that's something that's on their mind. And it was a little bit peculiar. It was def- I definitely felt like I was caught off guard when I saw Lemugo. I mean, like we just mentioned... It's definitely a log jam, which is the word that Quinn used of forwards. There are just so many, especially for the top six, so many top six talent players to choose from. And it's it's getting to bit be a bit of a logjam. So you kind of knew that they had to start dealing away some forwards. But the thing that Lemieux brings to the lineup, especially amongst the forwards, and you could argue, you know, Chris Kreider could be a little bit physical, but Lemieux really brought that physical presence, kind of that pest energy that the Rangers don't really have they do have ryan lingren though but that's on defense and and that he just plays a different kind of game that it, which is also physical, but and he fights occasionally too. But Lemieux just is definitely different than any kind of player that they have on the lineup. So I definitely thought it was a little bit peculiar, but it definitely was a move regarding cap space and and just the fact that they have so many forwards to choose from right now. So I, I wouldn't call it a morale thing, but uh, we were talking to Ryan Lingren on Wednesday. He was saying that he doesn't necessarily feel like it's his job to go out there and protect his teammates, but he did acknowledge the fact that he does play that physical game. And he did acknowledge that with Lemieux leaving, it it definitely opens up an opportunity for him to step up physically, even more so than he did before.
1: Well, I think only time will tell. They did look kind of flat since he lost. They went to Washington for two periods. Uh, he looked disinterested. Then they came on the third period. Same start last game. Uh, I made the comment that I felt like they put Washington to sleep. They're up two goals, but then the Rangers have it in them. They have so many skilled players that if you want to play pawn hockey against us, we, we could beat you at that game. And that's essentially what happened. But eventually, I think the team needs to address having physical guys on the team. Because you look at all championship teams, they got guys that bang. And you look at Washington, you got Wilson out there. And you guys, you have those type of guys. So I don't want to judge it too early. I just feel there's a need there. And let's see what happens as we move along, they got a couple games coming up against Buffalo, two games that I feel they need to win if they're going to still be thinking about making the playoffs. And then they got to tackle Boston. Someone needs to do the Rangers a favor by beating the Boston a few times, like mm-hmm. the Islanders, the Devils to give them that chance to close the gap. But Boston's looking really good. So, but if anything, it's just the Rangers are always fun to watch. And I look forward to these two games coming up against Buffalo.
0: Yes. Like you mentioned five points out of the fourth playoff spot currently occupied by Boston, but they do have three games in hand right now. The Flyers are ahead by two points, Boston ahead by five, but I believe, yeah, like I said, they have three games in hand. The top three teams in the East, the Islanders, Capitals, and Penguins, have really blown open the division where the Rangers are concerned. They are so far behind right now that the Bruins are really the only team that's within reach for the Blue Shirts. But it's going to take a lot of things going right for the Rangers, like you mentioned, Ron, and a lot of things going wrong for Boston, who have been trading off wins and losses the last four games as of Wednesday. The Bruins also have six more games against the lowly Sabres, while the Rangers only have four beginning Thursday night.
2: Are the Sabres drunk going into their games? I mean, how the hell do you lose 18 times in a row? Like, are they hitting the bar? Are they partying with Ron double shots only before they get on the ice? Because, God, they stink. So the Rangers need to win every game they play against the damn Sabres. And I'm no NHL analyst here, but just looking at the numbers – it is hard to lose that many times in a row, especially in the NHL where, you know, bad teams find ways to win here and there. But goddamn, 18 in a row. Oh, Again, extra sauce at Buffalo Wild Wings. A little extra spicy <laughs> if they beat the Rangers. One of these two. Do not lose to the Sabres, Rangers. Uh, that would be embarrassing. All right, you guys will talk next with the legendary Larry Brooks right here on Up in the Blue Seats.
0: By now, you guys know who is next. It is our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksie and read his stories in the post and at nypost. Dot com. Larry, I wanted to start off with your pregame column from Tuesday, which discussed how Colin Blackwell, in particular, has made David Quinn's job all the more difficult. But in reality, it's not just Blackwell. It's players like Kevin Rooney, sometimes Julian Gauthier, who have all gone on little tears of stellar play that have taken away from the kids like Lafreniere and Heedle. What are you seeing from this dilemma?
3: What I see is a much more complex issue. Ice time and developing these young players constitute much more complex issues than simply saying, let the kids play. Because, And and I I think that the money quote from David Quinn, when he was discussing this yesterday, when, when I had asked him about it, was his reference to, you have to be accountable to the room. And you have to, as a coach, be accountable to the team. And so while in a perfect world, you would say Lafreniere needs to play 20 minutes a night to develop. Kako needs to play 20 minutes a night to develop. And they need to give Gauthier 15 minutes a night to see what he can be. And they need to get off in and elevate him very quickly. The idea also is to win games and to compete. And you have veterans on the team and players you're paying an immense amount of money to to win games. And so you're not going to sit players who can help you win games in order that you can give an extra minute and a half a night to Lafreniere or Caco or Heedle. And it's not easy. <laughs> it really isn't easy. They're, you know, they're trying to walk and chew gum at the same time and sometimes you can stumble. There is a constant push and pull about what's appropriate. When I reference Blackwell, Blackwell's because on Sunday, Against the Caps, every time he looked up, there was Colin Blackwell. He's earning those minutes. And you know what? The minutes aren't that big. They're 10 minutes a night, 11 minutes a night he's getting, sometimes 12 maybe, but sometimes eight. But the thing is, he's earning them. Every time Colin Blackwell is on the ice, you see him. He's doing something. He's competing. He's winning pucks. He's getting to the front of the net. He's making himself a pest. And I think that the coach probably wants to see that from the younger guys, too. It's difficult to justify sitting a guy who's going to help you win a game. Um, You know, when there are 25 games to go in the season and you're trying to win every night, um, it's difficult to justify sitting guys who are going to help you win in order to get a younger guy an extra minute and a half of ice times.
0: Well, if it's not easy or simple, I am going to ask you to give us an answer. How would you personally balance the playing time? Or better yet, when do you think David Quinn should start prioritizing getting the kids the better better minutes rather than riding these other players?
3: Well, how is he going to do that? Is he going to is he going <laughs> to knock Panarin's? No, I'm no, I'm serious. I mean, is he going to knock Panarin's ice time down by three minutes in order to get Lafreniere more time on the left wing? Is that is that what anyone would do? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> are you going to take Sabanajad when he's going like this from twenty minutes a night to seventeen, so Hiedel can play three more minutes? I don't think so. What I would like to see, however, is the second power play unit get a lot more ice time, and I think that's a responsibility both of the first unit and of the coaching staff because I see the first unit stay out for a minute 35 a minute 40 sometimes they stay on for two minutes even when they have a chance to change their first power play actually Tuesday night against Washington say 40 45 seconds in um, the puck was puck was sent down to the other end and the only guy who changed was strong and the other four stayed on for two minutes and <laughs> they didn't do very much and I think you know The second power play is the one where I'd I'd like to see Lafreniere and Hedl and Kako or, you know, they also have too many forwards to jam in there as usual. But what I want to see is the second power play get a a lot more ice time. And I think that would provide some of the answer.
1: My angle here is, as you mentioned, they're still trying to win games and there's still a chance they can make into the playoffs. So coach is trying to do everything he can to win games. When you're thinking about balancing the young players, the older players, I guess my question to you is, I still believe you need to have an energy line. You still need guys on the third or fourth line to come out and bang and provide that spark that you need. So now what do you make of them sending Lemieux over to Alley and the team looks like they're still looking like they could use guys that can bang. What, What direction do you think they're going in?
3: I think they could use guys who can bang, but I think they can use guys who can bang on their top six and their top nine. I think it's unrealistic to expect a fourth line that's going to get maybe seven minutes of even strength time to perform that function for them. I understand what you're saying. And they need more players with the mentality of Brendan Lemieux. They do. But they need those kinds of players in their top six and top nine. You know, they need more fiber at the top. It's helpful at the bottom but I think they need it at the top. And that is going to be the challenge for Jeff Gordon as, as he tries to improve the team and make them into a legitimate playoff team and then a legitimate cup contender. How are you going to take a team that is homogeneous? I mean, they, I mean, all of their top nine guys are about the same. You know, they don't have the same skill level, but they're all skilled players. They're all skill-oriented players. Um, Kreider is a little bit different, but he's also not a banger, except, you know, on occasion. But all of their guys are kind of skill guys. And how do you, repl- how do you add to that when you've got so many of them and you, you prioritize talent and skill over other attributes? I, I don't know. I, I don't think this is going to be so easy for them.
1: So Skirkin is back and he's playing really well. So I want to move forward to the trade deadline. Let's say they're within four points. To make in the playoffs, and it's trade deadline. When you look at their backup situation, not really strong. Can you see the Rangers potentially going for a good backup goaltender,
3: or just wait? Well, they're not going to be able to do anything unless they trade Georgiev. It's you know they're paying two point four two five million for a backup goalie, so they're not going to be able to add. A backup goalie. There, I, I I think there's more of a chance if there's interest in Alex that they'll trade Alex at the deadline. But I'm not sure how much interest there's there's going to be in him given the kind of season he's had this year. I hope they don't really make any moves predicated on fanciful chance to make the playoffs. I mean, I, I think it's it's pretty unrealistic at this point to think they're going to catch the Bruins. The fact that they're you know, I mean, it's it's pretty unrealistic to even have the Rangers and Bruins in the same sentence. but you know they are I understand you know mathematically it's possible you know there are the three games in hand that kind of that kind of skew it but I don't think they're going to go out and get a backup goalie I think that's going to be a position they're going to take a look at over the summer maybe Georgiev turns it around over the final uh, couple of months of, of, of this year. I expect him to play in the next week, and maybe he can and string a couple of strong games together and resuscitate his season, because it's, it's, it's really been a very difficult one for, for him.
0: This was kind of a topic from last week, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on the whole Tim Peel incident. For those that need a refresher, longtime ref Tim Peel was caught on a hot mic during the Predators-Red Wings game, saying that he wanted to give Nashville a penalty and he was promptly canned by the league what are your thoughts on the situation how it was handled and the concept of makeup calls in general
3: well i think i think NHL officiating model is broken i don't have very much professional respect for the person at the head of the <laughs> of, of the department his name is Tell Steven us you really like,
0: feel Larry. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. i i uh, the concept of makeup calls has existed forever uh you know i started watching six decades ago and it, it hasn't really changed very much. You know, Tim Peel just got caught saying the quiet stuff out loud. But we know that referees manage the game, officials manage the game, calls are made at certain points of the game, calls are made because of the score of the game. And,
0: and that's obviously
3: the way the league wants it. You know, I, I don't blame the individual officials. If if the league didn't want it that way, it would have changed a long time ago. But the league has always managed games. Like I wrote a couple of weeks ago, you know, back before the cap, the league would allow, encourage obstruction and interference all over the ice. So that teams with smaller payrolls and less talented groups could play, could compete with the teams with higher payrolls and more talent. So, you know, they, you know, the officials were, I assume, encouraged not to call these interference calls that were going on all over the ice. I mean, Yara was being dragged down all over the ice when he was in Pittsburgh and, Eric Lindros was being fouled every time he was on the ice in Philadelphia, and officials tolerated it because it made it, created more artificial parity. It allowed the Florida Panthers to get to the 1996 finals by beating Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. So, you know, this is, I think the entire officiating model needs to be reworked. I'm not the person to do it, but but I can tell you that that it's broken. I don't know how to fix it, but it's broken. (laughs)
0: All right. Thanks for the time as always, Larry. Same time next week. All right.
3: All right. Sounds good, Molly. See you, Dukes.
0: Our guest this week is nothing short of a Rangers icon. He's been around the team since 1982, doing play-by-play since 1984, and been one of the most recognizable voices in sports ever since. He's coined the, it's a power play goal, and this one will last a lifetime. He simply makes every Rangers broadcast that much better. Coincidentally, this man used to sit in front of my dad at Temple at the New City Jewish Center, so you can imagine my father's reaction when I told him, I now consider this Rangers legend to be a friend of mine. Please welcome Sam Rosen. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to talk some Rangers hockey with us.
4: That's a great introduction, Molly. I may use your power play goal call a few <laughs> times instead of mine. or If I come down with laryngitis, you're in for the goal call.
0: Oh, stop it. That's the highest honor, Sam. All right, let's get down to the Rangers. There aren't many people who have watched both Brian Leach and Adam Fox as intently as you have. And obviously, the latter has drawn a ton of comparison to the Rangers' legendary defenseman. I wanted to hear your take on their similarities.
4: You know, Molly, I've been thinking about that, I guess, for the last several days. I thought it, about it again this morning. And it's unfair to everyone to look at Adam Fox and say he is the next Brian Leach, because Brian Leach had a marvelous career, as we all know, one of the greatest New York Rangers ever, a Hall of Famer, a Stanley Cup champion. I mean, this uh, Conn Smythe Trophy winner, this guy did it all, Norris Trophy winner. So he is, without a doubt, in a special category. That said, Adam Fox is Brian Leach-like in his play. What we've seen from him in two years or less a year and a half as a New York Ranger has been absolutely phenomenal. The great poise that he has with the puck, the great vision, that's the thing that always stood out to me about Brian is the great vision he had of the ice, whether it was to make a pass to the center or make a pass to the winger breaking uh, the uh, wall and and just lead a play into the offensive zone, the rushes from end to end. He was so special. And we're seeing this on a nightly basis from a second-year player in the NHL. And I'm sure, Dukes, you can attest to this. How difficult it is to be, uh, let alone an NHLer, but a defenseman in the NHL and to play the way he does. It's been eye-opening, Molly, and great to see for great things for not only Adam, but for the Rangers, because that's the type of player that is essential to have in today's NHL.
1: Sam, Ron here. Uh, You and I have known each other since back in the 80s. We worked together. And I guess I want to dive in a little bit about uh, Sam. Sam Rosen, you as a person. You doing the game, going back, Ranger fans can't get enough about hearing about the 94 run. So, But I would like to know from you, because I've never asked you, what's it like for you when you get in those intense playoff games where you're having to work, do the (laughs) play-by-play, Do you, do you as you're doing your work, you're having to concentrate. Is it like being a fan where you get that level of excitement, or are you just really focused on calling the game? Well, part of it is a fan. I mean, you can't take that
4: out of me because this is what I grew up with. I was a kid going to the games, and with our geo cards paying 50 cents to run up to the balcony at the old Madison Square Garden on 49th and 50th Streets and 8th Avenue, and watching the Rangers in the bad days turn into some good days and get better, and then grow up with the Rangers. This is my team, so the fan is always in me. And I live and die with this team, and I want them to do well every single night. But I also have a profession, and you know what it's like. And Molly, you know what it's like as a professional. You've got a job to do. And one thing I learned very young, and a lot of it has to do with working with John Davidson because of the great background that he had going up to Canada, learning to be an excellent analyst, the guy that everyone looked as as the model he's in the hockey hall of fame as a broadcaster because he was that good we worked together for 20 years and he instilled in me a certain guideline as to being as impartial as you can now everybody knew that jd wanted to win he was a rangers goalie he wanted the rangers to win but there was this professionalism We were able to work national broadcast. He did it in Canada, did it again in the U.S. I was able to work national broadcast for Fox when they took over the national contract in 1995 for five years. You get a feeling, an understanding that there are a lot of fans watching you that that aren't Ranger fans. They're hockey fans. And it would be unfair for me to go on and just be a blatant homer and root for the Rangers and blame everything on the officials, the Rangers were being cheated. No. You want to give them a balanced broadcast as much as possible. And obviously, we lean a little toward the Rangers because that's the majority of our audience. But, you know, our our goal is to be fair to the other team because you as a player know better than anybody else, Ron. There are two teams out there, and both are trying as hard as they can to win.
0: You've watched a lot of Rangers draft picks over the years, Sam. A bunch of first-rounders. I wanted to hear your observations on Alexi Lafreniere. What would you say to those calling him a bust? And, and just what do you expect from him in the future? Or is it simply too early to tell, you know, considering he's 19?
4: You touched on it right there, Molly. It's way too early to tell. To call him a bust, uh, forget that. Throw that word out. Don't ever use it for a few years at least. You have to wait and see. Last year, a year ago, uh, or a little over a year ago before he was drafted, Alexi Lafreniere was playing against teenagers. Now he's playing against men who are playing for their livelihood and are playing for the ultimate prize in the ultimate league. They are at the top of their profession. These are great athletes who want to win they're as competitive as any athlete in any sport they want to win they want to win badly and he is trying to make that transition in his teenage years at age 19 into playing a man's game and i think what's necessary is great patience i think we're all spoiled when we see a sydney crosby come into the league ron remembers when Mario Lemieux came into the league. These are special athletes. Connor McDavid comes into the league. They're few and far between. And they're not instant successes. It takes them a couple of years as well. But then the greatness comes through. Way too soon. Obviously, Alexei Lafreniere was a consensus number one pick. Any team that would have had the number one pick would have choos- chosen Alexei as the number one pick. He's got a great future ahead of him. I think the, the thing that, that really touches me off, or, or in a positive way, is that he wants to be great. Anytime you talk to him, the coaches talk to him, I've talked to JD about him, he's had talks with him, this kid wants to be a great player in this league, and that's a big step and I think you just have to give him time. And I think it will happen. He'll get bigger. He'll get stronger. He'll get tougher. And all this great talent that he has in him is going to come out. It might, it might take a year or two, maybe even three. But I think this kid has great potential. You look around at the other number ones, a Nico Heischer a couple of years ago by the Devils. It's taking time for him to establish himself. A Rasmus Dahlin in Buffalo, he's taken a step back. This is his third year. He's struggling. Jack Hughes with the Devils, He's improved this year, but he hasn't taken over the league. This is a hard league. It's a great league with great players, and it's hard to be an instant star in this game.
1: Over the years, you've had the pleasure of getting up and close, getting near the players. You're doing a lot of events. you host a lot of events with Ranger players. Over the years, are, has there been certain players that you really enjoyed talking to, interviewing, that, that you uh, just really liked their personalities? I think there are several as you go
4: around the league. But amongst the Rangers, there have been a, a lot of great personalities. Going back to when you played, Ron, you were one of them. Phil Esposito <laughs> was, was another one. Phil was great to talk to, always loved to laugh and loved to. The guys that have stories, Marcel Dion, you could ask him what time of the day it was, and about 10 minutes later, you might have gotten the answer because he would have told you five different stories. Great personalities. Everyone's a little different. I think it takes time to get to know the European players. You have a, a guy uh, with the Rangers right now, Artemi Panarin, uh, loves to smile, loves to laugh. It takes a little time. Pavel Bureševič, he's here five or six years now. He's just getting the confidence to speak English. So now you get to know him and get in, you know, get information about him and his lifestyle. But going back to your original question, run, you know. Each team has several personalities that are approachable. Mark Messier was always there for you to talk to. Very business-like, but Mark was always there, would always answer every question that you had. The guy who was uh, terrific and you uh, you always felt he was your best friend was Adam Graves. Loved to go to Adam Graves and, and talk with him. Got, there were guys that loved to have a good – Alex Kovalev came to the Rangers as an 18-year-old from Russia, didn't know any of the Russian, uh, the English language. He learned it in a hurry. He watched TV shows and soap operas. He learned English, and then he was one of the best guys to go and talk to. He loved life. He, he went out and he learned how to play golf, and in six months, he was maybe a, a 10 or a 12 handicapped. He, he learns to to fly an airplane. He learned to play the saxophone. Great personalities. And there were so many of them, Ron, as you go down. And you played with, with many of those guys. Just great to talk to, approachable guys that you had fun with. So it, it's difficult to pull one of them out because each team has its own personalities and guys you can go up to. A guy like Chris Kreider. Very intelligent guy, speaks several languages. Great to talk to. A more quiet guy is Mika Zibanejad, but when you sit with him, you get into a conversation about any subject. Uh, terrific guy to talk to. Another one. Look at the goaltender we had for 15 years, Henrik Lundqvist. One of the most, uh, one of the nicest, approachable guys. You could go up to him on a game day talk about any subject. Didn't have to be hockey, didn't have to be goaltending, but always approachable and always there to have a nice conversation with.
0: This is probably a loaded question for you, Sam, but I wanted to know what the most rewarding part of your job has been over all these years. It can be a specific call, game, or just a general takeaway you've had from your time covering the Rangers.
4: Well, I think the, the number one thing always has to be Molly being able to call the Rangers winning the Stanley Cup, that first one in 54 years, wiping out all the curses and all the pain and suffering that the players went through. Ron knows the pressures that uh, were on the players to try and win. 1979 was a great run for the Rangers to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, the teams of the, 70s, and then the early 80s, the Herb Brooks teams were exciting teams. Then you get to the 90s, and Mark Messier comes. Probably the biggest thing, Molly, besides the Cup, the Cup being the ultimate highlight, because to get to call that championship and at Madison Square Garden, that was super special. But the, the greatest thing for me is, is being able to interact with all these players From the various backgrounds, players from all different countries in Europe, Canada, in the U.S., all around, and being able to travel around the world uh, to do hockey. To do hockey, uh, we did games. We started our season in the Czech Republic, in Prague, one year. I mean, that's incredible. Another year in Sweden. Just uh, incredible times and uh, that are so special that you wouldn't have had them, but not for hockey and being part of the Rangers organization. That makes it very, very special.
1: So, Sam, a follow-up to Molly's question. Uh, one thing that's going to last a lifetime is you saying it's going to last a lifetime. <laughs> the wait is over. So I need to ask you, going into that game, you had to have been thinking, when this thing ends and if they win – What am I going to say? Did you think of anything, or did it just come out of your mouth? Well, that one, I have to tell you, Ron, that one
4: came just out of the circumstances that evolved in the game. But I want to take you back to game five. Rangers went out to Vancouver and won games three and four, and they came back, and they're up three games to one, and everybody, I mean everybody, felt it was over. They're going to win Game 5, no problem, and everybody's thinking about, you know, the celebration, the post-game celebration. They're winning Game 5 over Vancouver. This series is done. We're winning the Cup. And as I'm getting ready, I'm at home, I'm shaving, I'm thinking, what do I want to capture? What do I want to say when they win the Cup? And basically, I'm, I'm coming up with ideas about the end of curses and the end of of uh, all these years of frustration, what I mentioned to you before. And, you know, finally, here it is. They've they they've won it, the ultimate prize. I didn't have the specific words, but I had an idea what I wanted to say. Well, we get to the arena. Vancouver scores three goals, takes a 3 nothing lead. The Rangers wake up. They come back to tie the game 3-3. Vancouver says, that's enough. We're going to win. They win the game. and we're going back to Vancouver for Game 6. Vancouver wins 4-1 in Vancouver on a Saturday. Now it's three games to three. And we're going back to New York for Game 7. And Game 7, it's a toss-up. I mean, anything could happen in Game 7. I kind of just cleared my head, get into the game. Same thing, had those general ideas. But now, here's the game unfolding Rangers take the lead. They go up 3-1. to one. Vancouver cuts it to 3-2 to two in the third. They come close to tying the game. We're down to the final minute. The time's winding down. The crowd's going nuts. Rangers send the puck out of the zone, and it's an icing. So we have a whistle, stoppage in play. Come back, face off. Rangers clear it. It looks like Vancouver could have played the puck. No whistle. I mean, they don't rule that they could have uh, touched the puck. It's another icing. Back down to the Rangers zone, another face-off. They put a half second on the clock, 1.6 seconds remaining. They dropped the puck, and that's when it just came out. The waiting is over. Finally, we had to wait for those icings, all those. We were starting, you know, as that second puck was cleared down we thought it was over jd and i are starting to celebrate the booth and it was an icing and then finally they dropped the puck the waiting is over the rangers are the stanley cup champions and you know in my mind being the stanley cup champions even once that will last a lifetime and that's how it came out it wasn't it just came out and it was something that was the emotion of having been a Ranger fan standing next to a man who had been the Rangers goalie and played in the Stanley Cup final in John Davidson and knew what it was like to be there and to battle and to try to win the Cup. It was just an emotional moment, and it just came
2: out that way. Well Sam Molly is in uh, looks like she's in tears <laughs> of joy over here as you relive, relive that. She's emotional hearing your answer. it's Jake here last question for you. we appreciate the time. I love you as well on you know the NFL on Fox. You've called almost every sport. It's fascinating how many different sports you have called over the years and you're able to balance doing a Rangers play by play while doing NFL every week. you've worked with so many different partners on Fox for the NFL on Fox. Uh, Vince Scully went till he's 88. How much longer is Sam Rosen going to go?
4: You know what? I don't know. As long as I have good health, that's the key to everything, I think, for anyone. But all I can tell you is I love what I do, and I look forward to the next game with a great passion and intensity. I I'm working for an organization that couldn't have been better to me I, I started working part-time for Madison Square Garden in 1977, full-time, as Molly mentioned, in 1982. And working with the Rangers in Madison Square Garden has been a joy of my life, and I look forward to it. And I love sports. When I'm home, I'm watching sports. I've got NHL Network on here. I've got the computer on. I love all sports. Whatever they ask me to do, I'm happy to do. Hockey is number one, and the Rangers are just such a big part of my life for me and my family, and I'll just go on. As as long as they keep letting me in the building, I'm a happy guy.
0: Sam, thank you for sharing your iconic voice with our podcast. I am smiling ear to ear. I feel like we relived the 94 Cup win all over again, or in my case, heard (laughs) it for the first time. Have a great rest of the season and hope to have you back on the show soon.
4: Molly, thank you anytime. Dubes, thanks. Always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: That's a wrap for episode 50. Get this, the Leos Anderson from 2018-19 edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Do us a huge favor and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For number 10, Ron Gay, I'm Molly Walker. We are back in your eardrums next Thursday. Thanks for all your support this season. Talk to you next week. So long.